So Ramesh would refer to personal investigation as the only practice he recommends, which is not really a practice. It's so simple that I mean, it hardly takes time to practice it. What he would say is that at the end of the day, be comfortable, sit down in your favorite chair at home, have your cup of coffee or your beer, whatever you like. Just sit back and review the events of the day. And you will see that a lot of events were really not in your control. You know, somebody called, said something, you saw something. A lot of things happened where you were just a minuscule part of the happening. But you choose one such event where you are convinced that it was your action. You pick that out from all the events in the day. Investigate that action further and question if it really was your action. Did you decide to do that action at a particular time? Or did it happen because you had a thought? And the arising of that thought led you to perform that action. Which means if that thought had not happened, your action would not have happened. And as we said, you have no control over what the next thought is going to be. Let's say you saw something, smelled something, heard something, tasted something, touched something. And as a result of that, your action took place. If you had not happened to be at a certain place, at a certain time, and seen, heard, smelt, tasted, or touched something, your action would not have happened. And you had no control over being there at that time and for something to happen while you are there. For something to happen which you saw, heard, smelt, tasted or touched. So if you had no control over what led to your action, how can you call it your action? You see, so many factors beyond your control. He would tell a lot of seekers who came, they would come from far off countries, you know, that literally the universe really collaborated <laughs> for you to come to his doorstep in South Mumbai. Anything could have gone wrong. You know. So he would tell them, is it really your action? The thought that I should visit Ramesh, where did that come from? Keep investigation your actions till the understanding goes deeper and deeper and deeper. Not my action, not my action, not my action. Until you are totally convinced that no action is your action. And then the final understanding may happen in a flash that I simply cannot be the doer of my actions. You know, I give the example of, take the friends you have in life. Did you choose them as friends or did, were they random happenings that the friends, you know, through some encounters, you met some people who then became your friends. 
Were you able to control that series of events? Once the total acceptance happens, there will be no more doubts or questions. You know, I gave the example uh, in an essay I wrote recently on William Tell. Many people are familiar with William Tell's story, but it goes down to the fact that there was a tyrant who was planted in this locality. And what he did is he took his hat out and he hung it on a pole in the town square. And the order was passed that whoever walked past the town square had to bow down to the hat. Now William Tell was walking in the town square with his son and he refused to bow down. And he was seen and he was caught and he was told you bow down and he said I won't. And so the tyrant said is it so? And then the famous story where he takes the apple and he puts it on the son's head, the tyrant, and he tells William Tell, shoot that apple. Because if you don't, I will kill you all. Now, William Tell, who was a famed marksman, now this is where the working mind and thinking mind comes in. Can you imagine having to shoot an apple on your own son's head? The thinking mind could have gone completely bananas. You know, you can imagine the pressure. But because he was skilled as a warrior, trained as a warrior, he was able to, in the moment, shoot the apple. And not harm his son. But he was a smart man because he had kept a backup arrow behind. But the tyrant saw and asked William Tell, fine, you've shot the apple, you've saved your son's life. But what was the second arrow for? And William Tell said that if I had harmed my son, the second arrow was for you. And the tyrant went wild and he ordered that William Tell be taken to the dungeons across a boat. There is a storm. William Tell escapes from the boat, knows where he has to go, where the tyrant is going to come, waits in hiding and uses the second arrow to kill the tyrant. So William Tell thought that the second arrow was my backup in case I harmed my son with the first arrow. If my aim was not proper, I will kill the tyrant. And what happened? Not only was his son saved, but he still killed the tyrant. But he did not think he would. If there was no storm on the seas, on the lake, he would not have escaped. He was able to escape because he told the soldiers, I'll help you steer away and out of the storm. And then that's how he escaped. If the tyrant had not hung his hat on the pole, 
this whole incident would have not taken place. So do you see the series of events and happenings which conspired to make all this happen? So it's, it's just, I mean, I've gone into details in my essay, but what we are trying to show you is there are too many events beyond your control. Yesterday I was talking to my friend over dinner and I was saying it's so clear, you know, we can't even choose to go to sleep. Can you say that, okay, at 9.45 my eyes are going to shut and I'm going to sleep? The body takes its time. You can't even choose when you wake up. So she said, oh, no, no, of course you can. We can put an alarm. I said, still, that's an external agency as a result of which you're waking up. But can you really choose? You can't choose to wake up. You can't choose to breathe. Do you choose the impact the moon has on your body, which is 70% water, seeing the impact it has on the high tide and low tide? Can you imagine the impact on the body, especially for women? We are, there's so much happening which is not in our control, but yet there's a need to think that we are in control. There's so much the divine gives, the sun, without which food would not grow, which, without which we can't sustain, is just given to us, is that in our control? So all that is taken for granted. And then we think now we are in control of our lives. So to sum up this topic of enlightenment, Is enlightenment a sudden or a gradual process? Because like we were referring to, when you investigate each action and each action and you realize that not my action, not my action, not my action, is enlightenment a sudden or a gradual process? It is like climbing a flight of steps. Enlightenment could suddenly happen between the 99th and the 100th step but until then, you are gradually climbing the steps. Enlightenment is the clearest understanding that all there is, is the source, consciousness, God. Deliverance is the integration of this understanding in daily living. Which means you deal with each situation as you feel fit and then leave the rest to God. That's what it boils down to. Enlightenment is sudden, but deliverance is gradual. The flash of total acceptance that I cannot be the doer of my deed, of any deed, is sudden. Thereafter, living one's daily life with this total sense of non-doership is gradual. It is like learning driving. Getting the driving license is one thing, but becoming a seasoned driver and driving smoothly through heavy traffic may take some time. Until one day after a few months, you look back and realize that you have just driven through heavy traffic for over an hour without the least mental stress. Of course, this is an analogy. What he's referring to is life and life situations. And in retrospect, when you look back and you realize that I've been far more equanimous than I used to be, that is the deliverance he's referring to. 
That is the peace of mind he is referring to. It's only when you look back in retrospect, you realize that I don't react like I used to before. Things have changed. I'm more at peace with myself. And that is the deliverance part. 